let's get the show on the road. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to Blissfully Aware, the show in which three opinionated people discuss what's going on in fandom and nerd news in general. I am Bliss, and as always, I'm joined by, by two lovely co-hosts, Kelty and Kendra. Hello. Hi. This week, we're going to talk about fan fiction. Y'all know what fan fiction is. Yeah. I don't feel like that needs to be explained. Yeah. I mean, especially now. Like, I, I lived in a time where that would have to be explained. But Me too. But I feel like it's, it's made the crossover. It's mainstream now. Which is weird. Never thought I would live in that time. But I never wanted to. But here we are. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just when a fan of any property, really, any story or book or movie or TV show, takes those characters and world and writes their own story. And that's, like, the absolute baseline, common denominator definition of fanfiction. Would you say that, uh, fanfiction can be good writing? Yes. Always. Just like anything else. Yes. The Something's genre or medium does not dictate its quality mm-hmm. in all things all the time. Like, I, I make the argument that there can be a good anything. And just because most of it happens to be bad does not mean that the genre itself is flawed. This is something called Sturgeon's Law. I did not come up with this. And it's been around since at least the 70s. And we'll talk more about that later because I already know what we're going to talk about. So I'm already already bringing my hot takes to the front, as you can tell. But uh, (laughs) She went to art school, y'all. I went to art school and it fucking shows sometimes. So, somebody who might disagree with you, though, Kendra, Mm -hmm. is a person by the name of R.S. Benedict, who I had- I've learned! 100% never heard of. Yeah. She is talking an absolute huge amount of smack for someone who has published only short stories in sci-fi anthologies. She big mad that some of these fic writers- have larger audiences than her, I imagine. Or I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. Like, I've seen the take before fan fiction is bad. Over and over. Because oh, absolutely. A lot of fan fiction is bad. I'm not going to sit here and pretend it's all high art, obviously. But her dislike of fan fiction seems to be mean and personal. Mm-hmm. Like, at, at least from the tweets that I saw. So if you want to take us through that, like, for yes, for someone who is, uh, not all that well known, at least at the start of this, had like 2,000 Twitter followers before her, her scorching hot take blew up and she got ratioed, as the kids say. <laughs> yeah, her argument goes through some evolutions as she tweets through it because it rapidly disintegrates to anyone who disagrees with me is committing like a logical fallacy. Like, yeah. like it gets ugly fast. Like, it's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of the like, <laughs> charcuterie is bourgeoisie discourse of uh, last year. Yeah. Like when literally charcuterie in France began as farmer's lunches because it was just the leftover bits of meat and cheese. But anyway, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh-huh. So allow me to read through this thread, this little tweet thread in the most dramatic fashion. Mm. So R.S. Benedict tweets. On the 16th, I think, of... The 16th or the 15th of January this year? The 16th. Uh, She tweets, It's incredibly bleak how many contemporary aspiring writers 
cut their teeth on fan fiction, a form that actively teaches you to write worse. But some published writers start with fanfic. Yeah, E.L. James and Cassandra Clare. They're fucking terrible. <laughs> Controversial take? Low effort, formulatic, lowest common denominator writing is bad, actually. But fanfic is often queer. Great, but did you know that queer literature exists outside of fanfic? It's a lot more meaningful to read legitimate queer stories than to mash your plastic action figures together. If anything, the popularity of fanfic has served to erase meaningful queer literature. <laughs> queer kids shouldn't learn what it means to be queer by reading recycled Disney IP. You have a lineage. Study it. Honor your ancestors. <laughs> Can I just interrupt here? <laughs> Yeah. We're gay. <laughs> we don't have ancestors or a lineage. I understand what you're trying to say, but we don't breed. <sighs> she means a cultural lineage. <laughs> I but know, also, but she doesn't say that. But also apparently implies that you have to be taught how to be properly queer by media. Like, like yeah. by saying queer kids shouldn't learn what it means to be queer by reading recycled Disney IP... You are still buying into the conceit, apparently, that people need to be taught how to be queer, and the teacher of that lesson should be media, just not media you don't like. Mm. Was... Which I take issue <laughs> with. I don't think anyone needs to be taught how to be queer, but, you know, I take issue with basically every fucking word of this thread, so we'll... I'm gonna pause on that. Yeah. And we'll get back to it. Go on. Also, a lot of my ancestors, both cultural and genetic, are shitheads, and I refuse to honor them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yes. Anyway, go on. In my opinion, arguing that women need fanfiction is profoundly misogynistic. I'm a woman, and I can read and write actual stories. I don't need training this wheels. Bitch. But hey. <gasps> oh. This bitch. Oh my god. The absolute gall of her. I like, know. Where is this attitude coming from? Did no one like her fic? No. Did her novel get passed over <laughs> for like another Cassandra Clare title or something? Like, I mean, anyway, God. please go on. There's more. But hey, if any of you actually believed in social justice and publishing, you'd be more concerned with Amazon's working conditions instead of shitting your pants because someone questions the value of your Harry Potter slash. Okay, um, just fucking, fucking shut the fuck up. That's a the, what about ism? <laughs> That's exactly the rhetorical move that Trump pulls. When someone counters an argument you've made and counters it well, and you can't counter the counter argument, what you do is that you shift the topic of conversation to something else in a move called whataboutism. You say, well, you're so mm -hmm. concerned about social justice and publishing? What about Amazon? When we were previously not talking <laughs> about Amazon at all. The actual structure of publishing was not what she was complaining about at first. I don't really think we were arguing about the social justice in publishing either. Like, I mean... No, I mean, that's an argument a lot of people make. And believe me, I'm, I'm going to make it in a couple minutes right here. But... Yeah, trust me. She's I... not arguing about, like, the value of fanfiction. She is arguing about the quality of fanfiction, at least at the start. This is what I mean, where she moves, mm -hmm. she moves her goalpost and her topic of uh, this rant 
slightly every time so she can continue to, I guess, project that she is in the rights. But yes, it has quickly moved from the quality of fan fiction to the value of fan fiction. Uh-huh. Two different things. So she goes on. But everything is fan fiction because it uses letters and words that existed in previous works of literature. Please stop talking. By the way, if you're going to use an identity-based argument, I'm Puerto Rican diaspora, so you're out of luck. <laughs> Sorry. I am what? Puerto Rican, and everyone knows that is the most uncritical identity you can possess. <laughs> when you're a Puerto Rican woman, everything you say is right. <laughs> she, like, does she not realize that other women of color and queer people of color were disagreeing with her? Like, does, is, does she... I mean, I disagree <laughs> with her. No, but does, like, in the thread, like, does she believe, is her conception of identity politics that if you are the most oppressed, no one can disagree with you? That seems to be everybody's thought yes, process these that, days on that Twitter. That seems to be exactly what she's implying. Like, you're out of luck. Like, I'm out of luck with what? Your argument's still wrong, even if you're Puerto Rican. What are you talking about? <laughs> no matter where you're from, your argument's still wrong. Yeah. So she posts a meme about being happy that people are yes. mad. Mm-hmm. The, the classic, the classic ratio move. I actually wanted this ratio. <laughs> oh man, there's an old drill tweet that's like, I am not owned! I am not owned! I scream or something like that. Oh man. So she goes on. Fanfic is collaborative. It's about community. Nah, sorry. It's all corporate IP. <laughs> what? Ultimately, Someone else legally owns it, and you are choosing to give a corporate entity your creative energy. Okay, I gotta stop again, I'm sorry. But uh, not all (laughs) film or movies or text or books or plays is corporately owned? No. Like, what the fuck is she talking about? Like, I get she's probably talking about, like, Disney and Harry Potter and shit, but that's certainly not what all fan fiction is written about. I mean, most authors, like, of books, of novels, retain the intellectual property rights to their work. So I have no idea what the fuck she's talking about there. Like, I really don't either. Also, the implication here, she thinks that somehow they're getting our mo- money? Energy. energy. Well, okay, <laughs> but, like, they're getting our energy anyway by us enjoying their product. Yes, like, I watch movies that are owned by corporations. And yeah, I we live in a society, Benedict, <laughs> and most things are owned by corporations. And I'm not going to fall on a sword and martyr myself about only enjoying pure, artisanal, hipster-crafted intellectual property. One, that's impossible. Two, to who does that benefit other than my own ego? And three... I don't wanna. Yeah. Also, (laughs) even if she were correct, and it's all corporate IP, that does not disprove the argument she was trying to disprove of fanfic is collaborative. Like, fanfic is collaborative, even when it's about corporate intellectual property. Yeah. Like, I don't know how things Mm -hmm. being corporate, corporatized intellectual property makes fanfic any less, or fandom, any less collaborative. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you again. That one just really bothered me. Again, because I don't actually know what argument she's making. Mm-mm, because not at all. Because the thing, the, the, like, straw man she sets up to 
take down is unrelated to her arguments of like yeah she seems to jump around yeah like she was gonna disprove the notion that fanfiction was collaborative but instead she just starts talking about how it's corporatized again i think is wrong anyway continue uh so the last tweet in this thread and it's certainly not the last thing she says on the subject matter but it's the last one in this running Mm. thread says those of you who claim that fanfic is the only refuge for queer creatives you were the same ones who tried to drive isabel fall to suicide there are queer writers creating original fiction but you're actively hostile to them for being a too radical no we're not oh no one is as radical as thou <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't know what, what I get you, Benedict. We're you're too edgy for us, babe. We know. I don't even know what she's like, talking he, about. But like, I don't whatever. know. Okay, can I again here? What she seems to be doing is saying that queer people making and producing queer fan fiction are the same people who bullied a queer author into attempting suicide. Like she is blaming queer fans for a queer author's attempted suicide because we're not radical enough like Apparently. like like we were the people who bullied her into suicide is that what she's trying to say i literally have no idea <laughs> i don't know what she's talking about like i don't even know who this person is well I, we can talk about isabel fall and what happened to her but but like what i'm trying yeah. to ascertain here from this tweet is are we the queer fans and queer creatives mm-hmm. who write and read for free queer stories. You were the same ones who tried to drive Isabel Fall to suicide. Like, that's... She is directly implicating us in this author's attempted suicide. Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure that I have not misunderstood <laughs> her claim here. Well, because... We are not radical enough. The queer writers that we are suicide baiting are the radical ones. And we just don't Because get we it. are the people suicide baiting. Okay. I just want to be 100% sure. Because <laughs> That's what she said. I don't want anyone to claim that I am strawmanning her argument or that I am taking it out of context. I 100% want to know what she's saying when I destroy her hot take. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, that's... God, she jumps around a lot, doesn't stick to a cohesive narrative point, but that is what I'm taking her to mean. So, yeah, so that's an old argument, I guess, the idea that fanfiction is bad because there's no barrier to entry. Literally anyone can write and post anything uh, to the internet and have it be read. And yeah, there's no... There's, or there's usually a very rudimentary editing process, and you can just write whatever you, you desire, and a, a lot of people, when they get it into their head for the first time, what they desire is to kiss the cute main character, or to fucking, like, see what happens when, when these two characters kiss. Like, it's, yeah, it's childish and a little puerile, but, sure. like, a lot of people's first interactions with fanfiction are the profoundly bad ones because they're fun to mock. Like, yes, it's watching someone engage with a text 
so poorly or shallowly and then post it up on the internet for anyone to see and with their name on it like i made this <laughs> i made this you know ten thousand word <laughs> self-insert modern au fanfic of me kissing whoever is the hot boy of the the day. I don't know. All of my references to, like, teen girl heartthrobs are 10 years old at this point, so I don't know who the hot boy of the day is. <laughs> because, yeah, when you're a teenager, you don't have many ideas of beyond, like, kiss the pretty boy. Or girl, depending on how you roll. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, I was a teenager. For sure, my early fanfics were bad. <laughs> and yeah, you also don't know how to write because you haven't, like, ever been trained or taught. Most people aren't prodigies by the time they're 13, and they're just writing because they can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, especially, uh, like, <sighs> I have a thought around this that's kind of half-baked, so here it goes. I think ever since, number one, the, like, movie franchise hopped onto the scene, like, initially in 2001 with Lord of the Rings, because when Lord of the mm-hmm. Rings was in production, everyone in the industry assumed it was going to be a catastrophic failure and that it was going to be the end of New Line Cinema and that it was it was going to be like a, you know, $500 million wasted effort, blah, blah, blah. That filming three films uh, at, at one time and releasing them one year apart, no one thought it was going to work. Never mind if it was going to be good, if it would be successful at the box office. And so then it was. Then it, like, blew everyone out of the water with how fantastic it was and how, yeah, the, the, a trilogy of films really worked, which is something that hadn't really been attempted before. Like, there had been series of things, but it was always just in an effort to cash in. Like, nothing had really been conceived and made as an intentional trilogy of three movies that are meant to be watched together, or at least sequentially. Like, you know, when you had, like, Jaws 4 or whatever, they were just like, the shark movie's still making money, just crank out another one. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's got nothing to do with the original story. Uh, but Lord of the Rings was conceived and filmed and produced and shown as a whole, as a single work that is divided into three smaller works. And then, especially Return of the King, won the most Oscars of any film in history, or tied with the most Oscars of any film in history, and made a bajillion dollars for New Line and Warner Brothers. And there was also, around the same time, uh, the Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire was happening, which was kind of the first Mm -hmm. successful mainstream superhero movie like there was batman before that the tim burton batman in 1989 fans fans are divided on let's say they are they are divided (laughs) on whether or not it's a good film but it was a successful film i don't know if it was good but there was great there was that there were another like they man they tried in the 90s to make batman happen batman was like the the superhero of the 90s they had the animated series and they had all the movies and they just got worse and worse and then sony had spider-man happen and first spider-man people liked i don't really think it's a good movie like i didn't then and i don't now (laughs) but but it worked like people went and saw it and then they had the sequel come out and then they had three come out which was really bad but even then, like, the the Spider-Man movies... <laughs> National yeah, treasure. Like, it's bad in a fun way, <laughs> if you want to go back and watch it. I would imagine a lot of kids now, like teenagers now, maybe haven't seen it. If you want to go back and watch Spider-Man 3, oh boy, it's, it's a doozy. And so, 
like the Spider-Man films were also not conceived of as a whole story. Like they are definitely each their own arc and narrative mm-hmm. with kind of like a few connecting narrative threads. But it helped reassure Hollywood that you could franchise these movies. You could have several of them. You could you could do two or three if they were popular enough. X-Men happened after that. And I actually think the uh the first two X-Men films are actually pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, they have their moments, but they're actually pretty great. They were also definitely aiming for, like, a, uh older audience, I guess. Like, you know, they let Logan swear and stuff. Yeah. Like, he got to say shit and dick and things like that, which, you know, the character of Logan Wood and whatnot. And then you got fucking Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, like, two of the greatest stage actors of their generation, <laughs> playing... Like, they have this amazing chemistry when they're on screen together, and they're playing... It's so good. They're lending such gravitas and pathos to these roles, and, like, getting people to take these wacky comic book characters a little seriously. And then, of course, in 2008, you have Iron Man, which is an unexpected runaway success with Marvel in the future planning to have an Avengers movie because they've looked at Lord of the Rings and they've looked at, you know, Spider-Man, X-Men movies. They've looked even at, at, like, I would say, like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean and stuff like that, other franchise movies, and are like, man, we could do this. We have almost a hundred years of material we can draw from. We can make movies about specific characters to introduce them to the audience like we do with comic books and then we do a crossover movie and make infinite money Mm -hmm. and they did like they started with iron man this is our canary in the coal mine like we'll shove our baby out onto the stage and see see if they perform or they shit themselves and die (laughs) and (laughs) yeah again just the charisma of robert downey jr in that role really carries that movie Mm -hmm. it is it is his movie and good for him because the actual story of it is kind of just meh but the, like, again, Marvel has never had good villains in their movies. No. And has never really had good villains, like... Nah, that's DC's In thing. their comic books. Like, yeah. they, they come and go with good villain writing. But especially in their movies, the villains are definitely ancillary. So yeah, Robert Downey Jr. in his, like, comeback role, you know, just soon after he got out of prison, he stars in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is another great movie. And then, like, immediately, 2008, Iron Man comes out. Uh, at the same time, by the way, that uh, The Dark Knight comes out and just blows everybody's tits off. Yeah, it's uh, good shit. <laughs> yeah, I still like people are mad that it's like not a comic book movie. It's a it's a heist movie with a bat in the middle of it. I still like it. Whatever. All of this to say, franchises happen in kind of the last ten years, and like Star Wars comes back, and then you get kind of like prestige TV happening, sort of with Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad and. Others, I don't know, like the Vampire Diaries happened. Twilight, Twilight's another one that was like franchise, movie franchise based on a series of books. And so the film and novel cultural environment that kids grow up in becomes very, like, very much about the world. Not so much about one character's narrative through a story, but about this, like, all-encompassing scope of this world. Harry Potter! Fucking, I can't believe I forgot Harry Potter. I always forget Harry Potter because I didn't read it. So, if I don't like it, if I don't like it, it doesn't exist. But Harry Potter's the other one, where, yeah, they managed to put eight movies 
that are relatively okay. I mean, having never read the books, I consider the movies to be relatively okay and cohesive. Yeah, they're passable. I don't know if I would argue that they're high art, but they are. I understand what's going on. (laughs) So... Anyway, all of this to say, I think that the experience of narratives and fiction, uh, especially in movies, but also in books, changed a lot in the last 10 years, specifically from 2000 to 2010. So rather than have like a discrete, encapsulated beginning to end text and having a like beginning to end experience with a text, whether it's a film or a book or something. Now someone's experience with a text or a movie goes on long after the movie stops, like because there's another one to look forward to, or there's another spin-off, or there's another world or another character that's happening. And basically the idea that now writing and like consumption of narratives is so permeated kind of like in all temporally like I don't know like am I explaining this in a way that makes any sense where like like serialization and franchisation of film and narrative and books and story has kind of made it so that people are like a story is never complete a story is never over there's always another adventure around yeah the, you know corner yeah there's another adventure there's another spinoff like you can see it now with Star Wars like Disney's like, we own Mm -hmm. Star Wars and we are going to milk the shit out of it. Everyone gets a spinoff. Everyone gets a TV show. Everyone gets a novel, a comic, a whatever. There's just more of this world. (laughs) We'll never never see the end of Star Wars, like, in our lifetimes, I don't think. So, like, your experience with a text is never done because the text itself is never done. It's, like, always perpetually being made. Personally, and this is just my theory, I think this lends itself more to a sort of, like, fan fiction experience where you are just by your own agency creating part of that text or at least creating a text that Mm -hmm. you want to experience with that source material like basically i think that the franchisation of film in particular but also books is largely responsible i guess for fan fiction kind of going a little mainstream i i think that was beautiful kendra (laughs) thank you and I think that part of that also is with the the more mainstream that it became and the more mainstream and willing actors were to go to Comic-Con panels and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And like participate. Yeah, like participate in fandom. Yeah, the nerd experience has mm-hmm. grown. Especially with the internet, because <laughs> like prior, you know, like in the fucking Star Trek days in the 60s and 70s, you had to be on a fucking mailing list yeah. if you wanted to talk to other people about how much mm-hmm. you love Star Trek. And, like, if you wanted to share your fic, you had to fucking type that shit out on a typewriter and send it to people in the mail. Yep, you had to submit it to your zine. Yes. And so, yeah, like... My aunt was involved in that. (laughs) You are now more quickly able to find like-minded people and nerd material, which is really... I mean, it gets it gets basically broken down now. The literary term people use is speculative fiction, which I hate. Oh, I, but that's awful. It though. basically means, like, to speculate on something that could mm-hmm. happen. It's basically genre fiction. So it's, like, sci-fi, fantasy, horror. The genres that usually get regulated to the bottom of the barrel because they're not real literature, endless air quotes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, genre fiction for a long, long time uh, had been derided mm-hmm. by mainstream literary circles as being, you know, trash and not good and pulpy and all of this stuff that is still still very much here today. 
And, like, when good sci-fi or good fantasy happened, it was by accident, not by intention. Yeah. So, for instance, Margaret Atwood is a very famous Canadian author who writes mostly fantasy and sci-fi. But you will be hard-pressed to find someone who labels her a sci-fi or fantasy author. Uh, She wrote, most famously, Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, and so I argue that that is a sci-fi novel. Yeah, like, you know, even Octavia Butler, Ursula Ursula K. Le Guin. I think no one argues that Ursula K. Le Guin is a sci-fi author, but they argue that she's a special kind of sci-fi author Mm -hmm. who can make science fiction good, actually. So yeah, when all of this stuff that had been largely derided became popular and profitable... Which is not the same as good, but it became profitable. That definitely mm-hmm. changed a lot of people's perceptions about what genre fiction can do and is, maybe? I don't know. Or at least made it acceptable to like. Like, like when I was a kid, like, reading comics was not popular. Yeah. yeah or, or I was made fun of Reading, a lot. like, fantasy or sci-fi. Oh, yeah, no, I was, I was that nerd kid. But then, like, Pokemon <laughs> happened, like, in 96... And that just took the fuck over. Kids slightly older than me derided it as, like, nerdy and lame. Whereas now, like... Because it was a game. Because it was a game and it was an anime and, you know, it was from Japan and there was, you know, vague racism attached to all the criticism about it. But it was still, like, a weird nerdy thing, even though it became popular, I guess (laughs) is what I'm reaching for. Excuse me, let me put on my, my... academic douchebag hat for a section okay. the intersection of genre fiction and social clout has migrated a lot in my own lifetime where liking fantasy and sci-fi went from being something that's mm-hmm. for nerds to very mainstream like saying you like the marvel movies now is like saying you like music yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so does everybody man it- <laughs> What I'm trying to articulate painfully here is that I think fandom, and especially fan fiction Mm -hmm. and fan works, also went from very marginal to very mainstream very quickly. That is what I was trying to say originally when I went on a huge digression about Lord of the Rings. Okay, also... The important thing here that I, I, the important thing is that queer literature also was greatly influenced due to the popularity of fan fiction, not in its entirety, but just in its popularity and accessibility. For sure. Queer literature, when I was a child, was sold in 18 plus only bookstores. Even just the the G-rated shit. Nothing. There was no G-rated yeah, shit. Yeah, there was no G-rated shit. There was shit. no such thing as a G-rated queer novel. Yeah. And like, which is my main beef with this thing is that she's talking about how like there's queer literature out there and like you're hurting queer authors. It's the your Gabby thing it's your duty to go find it. It's the Gabby bullshit all over again. <laughs> but like this idea that queer kids shouldn't learn what it means to be queer by reading recycled Disney IP. First of all, I learned how to be queer watching harem anime, so shut the fuck up. But, like, when I was a queer kid, she's talking about how you should just go out and do it. It's very... American, too, by the way, because, you know, 
every country Big. in the world just has just has an, uh, a queer study section. Just go find it. Being being queer is punishable by death in at least thirteen countries, and it's definitely illegal in at least seventy. But like, sure, just go find your local queer section in the library. Just go do it. But like, it's frustrating to me that she just doesn't even seem to realize. Like, and this is coming from somebody who definitely also reads like quote unquote real queer lit. Yeah, like, like I can do both, bitch. Yeah, I have free time. Mm-hmm. It just, it's disheartening that she is this tone deaf. I also just want to point out just the biggest part of this is that I uh, I went on her website and she has a uh, short story that she wrote that is a modern retelling. That's fan fiction, by the way, bitch. I mean, she covers that in her quote-unquote argument where she... No, she really doesn't. Well, I mean, she just she just sort of dismisses it without really addressing it that, you know, literature has existed before and something being derivative of another work is not the same th- thing as fan fiction, but a modern retelling is definitely adjacent to fan fiction. Yeah. That is something that fan authors do frequently. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I was growing up, my mom found a lot of my fan fiction. Thankfully, nothing uh bad then when uh, Gregory Maguire got popular, actually before Wicked, uh, he wrote a book called Confessions of the Ugly Stepsister, which my mom read. And after she read it, she gave it to me. And she's like, look, you could actually get popular writing fan fiction. Like, she was trying. I thought that was really sweet. And like, yeah, that's basically what Gregory Maguire does. And his work got turned into a fucking Broadway musical. So maybe telling me that Fan fiction doesn't have any influence on pop culture. Or that it's corporate IP and therefore it's yeah. all wreck and shouldn't be read. Like, Maybe you're like, wrong. Well, like, here's the thing. Like, when she's like, oh, fucking real publishers, like, in her, like, straw man voice, is like, real authors started out writing fan fiction, and then she talks about Cassandra Clare and E.L. James, you know, goes out of her way to select maybe the two worst published authors who got their start in fanfiction. Like, there are many others. There's Naomi Novik, there's Gregory Maguire, like you said. Like, there are plenty. Right. Well, what I find frustrating and disheartening in regards to her queer author argument is, as you were saying, growing up, there wasn't a queer section in the library and nothing was G-rated. And if you could get your hands on something, 99% of the time it was depressing as fuck and nobody ended, like, happy. (laughs) So fan fiction was a, and I I will be dramatic here and say it was a beautiful respite for me Uh as a closeted queer to find happy gay stories. (laughs) And not just like, ooh, let's make the boys kiss, but like, Sure, okay, the boys can kiss, and then they don't have to die afterwards of AIDS. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. shit. Like, God. When, when queer literature, like, first happened, I guess, as a, at least when, you know, fucking academic America decides it happened in the 80s and 90s and 70s, like, it, it was pretty fucking dominated by AIDS. Yeah, like, that's clearly and not, hate crimes. That's clearly not when queer literature happened. Queer literature is ancient, <laughs> but academic america decides that it begins in the 80s yeah and yeah to me that's a non sequitur because like i can do both bitch i can read quote unquote real stories invented entirely by an author you know 
presumably in a hermetically sealed chamber somewhere who's never been influenced by any other work any ever before in their life and it just comes a priori fully formed out of their head like athena from zeus <laughs> and yeah can be a positive and informing experience as can well-written fan fiction like i disagree with her premise that all fan fiction is bad so i can't even entertain the rest of her argument because it's built upon this faulty premise that all fan fiction is bad she says that it it trains you to write in a way that is bad but she never elaborates on that so i don't know what the fuck she means well she runs a podcast that uh teaches you how to write good oh because she would know yeah, I don't believe her because I've never heard of this bitch. I mean, I read one of her short stories and it's fine. Like, I don't know that it's, you know, it didn't blow my nips off or anything, but it's okay. I don't know if she's an authority on how to write good. I mean, I've definitely read some fanfic that's blown my nips off. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, ugh, I want to get into a personal story. But first, let's take a quick ad break. How dare you, Bliss? We're fucking, we're, we're selling out. We're not authentic anymore. This is no longer authentic queer literature, Bliss. <laughs> fucking corporate chill. And... And we're back. Okay, so my biggest personal grievance with her spicy hot take that you can't uh, learn how to write well writing fanfiction is that I desperately wanted to be an author growing up and was involved in some major literature projects in high school. Mm -hmm. But upon graduation, my family informed me that being an artist or a writer was just signing up to be poor. Mm -hmm. So I went into the medical field instead Mm -hmm. because I'm a good Jew. And... I gave up on my dreams for a long, long time. And it was through fan fiction that I finally got back into writing. And I'm not saying that I started back up fucking, like, Tolkien or whatever. Yeah, I mean, whatever the fuck she thinks good writing is. Yeah. Apparently uh, that she is the only arbiter of that, and she doesn't give any examples. No. Yeah, I noticed that too. It was an easy point of entry for me to get back into something I liked. And it has led me to pursuing a lot of things that I gave up on because I thought that giving up nerdy things and things you liked is what made you an adult. And I I take insult from the fact that she's saying just because some fanfiction is bad that it's all bad and that nothing good comes of it. Sometimes... It's not just the writing that's important. Sometimes it's, you know, how it affects the people. And Not to fucking Benedict, apparently. Apparently, by finding community in fanfiction, you're fucking shilling for Amazon and driving real queer artists to suicide. Well, that's, that's another thing that she doesn't seem to really understand, is that to a lot of people, in fact, most people, uh, fanfic's just a hobby, man. Yeah, it's just fun just having fun i'm not asking for money i'm not getting any money this ain't my job and like let me just say as someone who has attended university level creative writing workshops Mm -hmm. a lot of them are absolute garbage yep and don't in fact teach you how to write good whatever that might be yeah and like i don't know where she expects you to hone one's skill 
fucking by listening to her podcast. Yes, <laughs> yeah, she's the only one. Like, I don't know where she expects you to develop your talent as a writer if you're a young, up and coming, aspiring author, like she says. Other than by writing. And that's what fanfiction is? Like, fanfiction is writing. Can we agree on that, Benedict? Like, is that okay? Uh, Apparently not. I I was talking with a lot of people who said Mm -hmm. it wasn't writing, because writing is an art, and fanfiction is Oh, fuck off. (laughs) I know. (gasps) (laughs) I know, I was really sad that you weren't there for that. Can I just say that what is art has been something that people have been arguing about since the Renaissance, and I'm going to solve it right now. Here goes. Um, art is basically a creative product of some kind. Something that one produces with creative energy, whether collaboratively, whether it's a, it's a dance, whether it's a painting, whether it's a fucking douchey installation in a museum of some kind. And art is not a signifier of quality. No. No. There is bad art. There is a lot of bad art. Art's of any sort, is not endemic of quality. No. Things can be of quality and not be art, and things can be art and not be of quality. And sometimes, when you're lucky, and you have a talented person on your hands who just happens to luck into success, you can have art that is of good quality. Mm -hmm. But saying something is art is not the same as saying that something is good quality. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So, fan fiction, following this definition of being a creative product, is <laughs> art. Most of it is bad art. And actually, now, I'm going to talk about my old buddy Sturgeon here for a minute. There's a story that goes with this Sturgeon's Law. So, Theodore Sturgeon was a an American science fiction author in, like, the 50s and 60s. Apparently, the story goes, um, he he recounts it in a book, or he recounts it in a sci-fi magazine, actually, was sick of defending science fiction to people as quote-unquote true literature, whatever that is. That science fiction and speculative fiction had value, had artistic merit, had literary merit, Mm -hmm. and the counter-argument that he would encounter most often when trying to argue that science fiction was worthy literature was that, but so much of science fiction is trash, is bad, is poorly written, is is dreck, and apparently the percentage changes, but the counter-argument was, like, 90% of sci-fi is crap, and you have to really look hard for the gems, and his response was, well, 90% of everything is crap. So, like, 90% of books, of quote-unquote real literature, of movies, of clothes, of meals, of cars, most things are of subpar quality, just statistically speaking. Just by laws of statistics, most things are going to be below average in quality. And I agree with this. It seems obvious to me. Most people still don't grasp it. Most people organize media into categories of quality, as in, quote-unquote, true literature is all good, is all at least, you know, an 8 out of 10 or higher, and that somehow there is less quality control in other genres like fantasy, sci-fi, horror. And that's simply not the case. Like, I have read a lot 
of absolutely garbage literature. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just bad, or even, it's just mediocre. Like, people fucking jizz themselves over some books that I think are just absolute awful. Like, I, I, I don't know how this isn't a common experience for most people. That most things, just out of a whole, are bad. Like, Charles Dickens was paid by the word. And, like, make your money. I, I respect that. But he was paid by the word, not by the quality of the words he wrote. And you can fucking tell. It just goes on and on and on. I don't care. If you think he's fantastic, that's great for you. I still think he's boring. Shut up. Like, that's an example of, like, the economic and format limitations of his experience shaping the art he produced. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it's a good or a bad thing, like, you can argue whether or not the quality is good. But that's, that's definitely, like, his material conditions were influencing what sort of art he made. And he was popular. Like, he was what Victorian England wanted at the time. One imagines. Yeah, no, it's fine. And again, I respect him for making his money. Like, you go, buddy. But I ain't reading it. But it's just, it's odd to me why what was essentially, like, the pulp novels of their days, Victorian serialized literature Mm -hmm. for the masses, is now considered par excellence literature (laughs) to us today. Uh Uh-huh. Is it just the scope of time? I don't know. Or, or, like, I mean, in my personal theory, I just think a lot of what we consider to be the best of a given era is just what people remember. If you study history long enough, you will realize that a lot of the good shit we have forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. people, it's not reprinted every year. It's not taught in universities. It's not kept alive in like the kind of the modern contemporary cultural zeitgeist or whatever. And so there are a lot of like old Victorian novels that are great and not still popular today. Like, people know who Charlotte Bronte is or Jane Austen is today, but that's where most people's knowledge of, like, Victorian literature ends. Mm -hmm. I also have something to say about the tweet that says, low effort, formulaic, lowest common denominator writing is bad, actually. Fucking right. Because... What fucking fanfiction has she been reading? Exactly. That's... That's not untrue, but that's not fanfiction. I don't think you realize how much people put work and love and effort Mm. into this hobby that they love. And how fucking weird it gets. Yeah, it gets Like, this is is tailor-made to some people's very specific tastes. Exactly. Like, you think something like Omegaverse just happens? No. You think that's a low-effort concept, you hack? (laughs) Or formulaic at all? Like, the thing is, I would say that some fanfic tropes can be formulaic and low-effort, sure. But again, Hanahaki's disease. Exactly. That doesn't make them bad, <laughs> by the way. But again, it's somebody's hobby. They're having fun. They're not trying to sell it. They're not doing anything. They're just like, hey, I wrote this story. If anybody likes it, fine. But I like it, and that's what matters. And that is what matters. Go on, have fun. But the thing that is weird to me is that. Fan fiction, because it's not being, like, constantly scrutinized by publishing companies and, you know, agents and shit, is 
wacky and weird. Yes, and, it has more variants. And often goes completely to the point where you might have gotten better by using <laughs> some structure. Maybe you could have had some editing happen. And, and like, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to tell anybody that they need a fucking editor for their fan fiction. Have fun, guys. Most of you could use an editor. Well, yeah, if you want one, but, like, who cares? No, no. Bring back betas. Like, did they go anywhere? That seems to have been something that has fallen out of vogue is just having a beta come in and double check what you're writing. Oh. Yeah, I- I'm a beta for a lot of my friends because a lot of my friends are ESL, so they want somebody else to read their stuff and make sure it all makes sense, which is fun. I enjoy doing that. But um, but also, it- it's strange to me to tell people that the stories that have nobody watching them are the ones that are formulaic and boring and low effort. Yeah, that's a real, like, she's arguing that the published literature that is selected for profit, edited for marketability, and broad audience appeal is less formulaic (laughs) than the freaky stuff people write for free. I cannot tell you how many published stories I have read that are just about a professor who realizes he's in a loveless marriage and starts getting the hots for his students. Like, that's a very common trope in writing, because people do the right what you know. Or at least it was. I don't know. Not so much anymore. The point is, I've read the same book over and over. And I'm not even saying that that's technically bad. But, like, fanfiction gets weird. You know, characters become tentacle monsters. Uh, just whatever the fuck you want. You just put it into Google and you'll find it. Like, that's... Like, or, like, you can now tell, like, a radical queer love story if you want. Or you can tell a radical revolutionary story if you want. Like, you can have a cast of entirely queer characters or characters of color or whatever. There's no publishing house telling you, oh, that won't sell. Sorry. Yeah. Like, I don't know... I have no idea where she draws the parallel that because something is fan fiction and you are free to write whatever you want, you end up with everyone writing the same boring story over and over again. Which, to be fair, that's what a coffee shop AU is, and I hate it. But it's also not really popular (laughs) anymore, at least not in the circles I hang out in. Like, I don't know what she's talking about, how this is endemic only to fanfiction inherently, or how it's lowest common denominator writing, when it's literally something that you can write to your exact specifications of weirdness, if you want. You can Mm -hmm. can make a fantasy world where society is based on BDSM etiquette, Mm -hmm. and they have. I've read them. They have written written 80,000 words exactly about that, and... I have yet to find a book that has... I guess it's Anne Rice's The Claiming of Sleeping Beauty, which is not great erotica. Which is also fanfiction. Which is... Well, yeah, and is also not great erotica, just on its own. No. But I think but it's, it's funny. But it's weird! <laughs> I'll, like, if that's, if that's what Benedict is saying that true literature is, like, I, it is weird, and I will give it to her. Well, I love the idea... That uh, <laughs> apparently all fanfic writers are essentially responsible for queer authors' suicide attempt. That's insane. That is the the most unhinged claim. Yeah, that I don't really she know makes. what she's well, talking. And to like end on that, like that's my 
final statement here. <laughs> yeah. Mic drop. To the point where, like, I almost don't want to talk about it because I feel embarrassed for her. Yeah. Like, I don't, I almost want to be like, she said that in a moment of anger and we shouldn't hold her to it. But no, it's, it's something she believes, apparently. So, uh, just so everyone knows what happened. In January 2020, in a magazine called Clerk's World, Isabel Fall, a queer author, wrote a short story and published a short story that was titled, I Sexually Identify as Attack Helicopter. Oh, this person. Okay. So, some of you might know where this is going, just from the title alone. So, the title is taken from, like, an old meme, kind of around the time that, uh... I guess, gender-slash-trans issues were becoming more and more mainstream, and mainstream people were being introduced to concepts like identity, intersection, and gender identity, and your identity as you conceive it not matching the body or not matching what society conceives your gender to be. And so, in retaliation to what some people thought was arbitrary modes of identification, like, you know, I identify as a whatever, you know, transphobic meme became popular of I sexually identify as an attack helicopter. Do we all, have we all encountered that meme before? Yes. Okay, (laughs) yes. Just, if there are no rules to identity, then I'm going to identify with the most ludicrous thing imaginable, and you have to respect me because it's what my identity is, and, you know, other shitty refutations like that. So in this book, or in the short story, sorry, it is basically set in a, in a military culture where to make this main character a better pilot, her gender is literally reassigned to attack helicopter. And that is the premise of the short story. I have not read it. I don't know if it's any good, but I think that's a valid concept kind of in a satirical way, poking fun at reactionary, bigoted, transphobic hatred, while also more broadly exploring topics of gender. And not even gender, but just identity and what it means to identify as something. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's a concept, that's a word that gets thrown around, or a concept that gets thrown around a lot lately, but we still don't really have an agreed-upon definition of what that means. So... That was the short story. People see the title, and presumably read the short story as well, and are big mad because they see it as transphobic. They see it as invalidating trans people's experiences by breathing life into this stupid meme, and a lot of people thought it was like a like a troll, like someone wrote this short story to like troll queer authors or something. And so a lot of the detractors were also queer. They felt that this was like a bad take, essentially, Mm -hmm. a bad way to satirize transphobia and to explore identity and gender in sci-fi or whatever. Basically, the backlash was so severe that the author attempted suicide. And apparently, R.S. Benedict is blaming that on fanfiction. Okay. I guess. I mean, yeah, it's a one tweet out of nowhere mic drop moment that just is... Doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, a lot of this, she just makes a very sudden, like, right turn into something else. She does not have one linear path for her argument. And what I think is interesting, not for nothing, is apparently she did receive a handful of suicide-baiting messages or... uh, And she's 
sort of waving that around now as her look how legitimate I am flag. Oh, is this her fucking first day on the internet? Yeah. Mm. Well, (laughs) yeah, no. She's very happy that she has gained a new following. She has ten new patrons on her Patreon for her podcast. Oh, I see. Sure, okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's... You're in the money now. <laughs> wow. Was Impressive. it worth it? Your argument has brought you ten whole dollars. <laughs> so, it, yeah, no, I, it's all very insulting. It's But, like, how is she drawing a connection from this short story getting canceled, huge air quotes, to, to fan fiction? How is she, like, is it, is it because a queer author wrote a story that made people upset, other queer people upset, and how was that to do with fanfiction? Yeah, I don't... Explain it to me, Benedict. Yeah, because it's, it's not, I don't, like, I don't really know either what she's talking about in that sense, because I just don't know... So, to play devil's advocate, which is my favorite role to play... Is it? If I'm putting myself in her very bad hot take shoes and only reading this one single tweet not in relation to the whole rest of it it's simply that people who support fanfic don't support queer authors and thus are the type of people who trolled isabel fall into trying to commit suicide that would be my most generous interpretation of how she made this leap here. But the the fact of the matter is that largely fanfiction at least uh, is written by queer authors, like queer people who write fanfiction watch the shows and say this should be gayer and and then write fanfiction about it. Like, people have made this argument before, it's not straight women. Sure, some of them are, but for the most part it's questioning women and then queer people. Like, it's it's not really... You can't really say that it's it's all straight women all the time, because, again, it's a, it's a fun and easy hobby. I think she's saying that it's queer people causing the problem, though. It's queer people, through fanfiction, enabling... Yes, she's, she's certainly blaming us for our own oppression. Yeah. yeah. That's what she's doing. Is she queer? I, I don't know. I literally could not find out. I tried. It does not say anywhere, but it gives me a big old case of the straights. Yeah, she does kind of give me a case of the straights, and I don't like her talking about the importance of queer literature unless she... Or how people must be taught to be queer the right way. Yeah, yeah that's not cool. By, by certain media that she decides. Like, God, don't get it twisted. I think all queer youth need to take some sort of history lesson because oh, totally. I don't think that they know the entirety of their history, especially in the Western world. I don't think there's a lot of queer youth out there that understand the larger ramifications of what it means to be queer outside of Western civilization, but that does fucking... <laughs> sure. A lot of that's not even their fault. No, but, no. Like, a mean... lot of it is the, like, the again, the difficulty in acquiring this material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that there is a whole generation just before us of predominantly queer men who are dead. Yeah. Who are not here. 
and died in their 40s because yeah. of a, a plague that went oh, yeah. untreated by the government. And is still a race to this day. It's not in a lot of history books that are taught in school, which fucking blows my yes. mind. It's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, it's still is still a problem. It's, it's yeah. like luckily more easily treated now, but still something that... Still definitely a problem. Yeah, still the, something that needs to be watched out for. The thing that really irritates me and will irritate me more if she is heterosexual, is her concept of what meaningful queer literature is. Like, first off, what's meaningful to you is not necessarily meaningful to me. A lot of people really liked Brokeback Mountain. I thought it was kind of boring. Um, (laughs) That's not to say it's... That's not to say it's bad. Or that it's without meaning. Or that it's without meaning. Like, just, what the, is she the arbiter of meaning? Just to <laughs> me, personally, I was like, that sure is two straight dudes kissing and moved on with my day. Straight dudes? I thought the whole premise was that they're not straight. No, but the actors are straight. Oh, okay. But anyway, that's, that's not the point. It's not important. Like... Again, my not finding meaning in Brokeback Mountain doesn't mean that it's bad. My not finding meaning in Rent is not the reason Rent is bad. No. (laughs) Rent is bad. Rent is bad, but not because I find it unmeaningful. (laughs) Rent is bad for other reasons. That'll be in another episode. Anyway, finding meaning in something is a very personal concept. I don't know what you're talking about when you're like, this is more meaningful. Like, if it's more meaningful to you, great. But you can't generalize meaning because it is incredibly personal. I can think that things are of good quality and not find a whole lot of meaning in them. <laughs> I don't really understand what she means by meaningful. Cause, like, well, she decides what it means. And then whenever you try and, you know, counter an argument of hers, she says, no, it means this now. Like, it's a very common rhetorical move. Yeah, I guess. For bad faith argumentation. It's just interesting to me that somebody would try and argue what meaning is in a generalized sense is really my main point. Because she had no real meaning to her argument. I don't... No, I mean... (laughs) Well, like, that's the thing, like... Her argument doesn't get off the ground for me because I don't agree with her opening premise of fanfiction teaches you how to write worse. So all of her, like, secondary stabs at trying to make a cohesive argument also fall apart for me. (laughs) Like, how she said so. And then, yeah... Anyway, do you guys think we talked about the thing? I I do. I mean, do we have any, like, final thoughts or anything? Like, fanfiction is fine... It's not, what, it's not corporate slavery. (laughs) It's not contributing to the suicide of queer people. And write literally whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Don't let people tell you not to. And it's also not, like, taking up space from queer literature that would otherwise be published. Well, I think it can be meaningful and helpful, and if it makes you happy, and it's not hurting anybody, then fucking do your thing, bro. Yes, your creative output does not need to... Make a profit. Make a profit, or meet the standards of some jackass on Twitter who has decided they are arbiter of quality, and it's a hobby, it's not your job. This just makes me think of, like, if someone kicked in some art student's door and was like, look how shitty you are at watercolors. Like, you think you're ever going to draw properly in your real life? Creativity and art is what makes humans different from 
lower conscious beings. So just fucking do your art and enjoy it, okay? Fucking don't let anybody tell you shit. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to be radical, fine. If you want to write some crazy, fuck-off, transgressive queer story that that would never be published otherwise, fine. If you want to write goofy fluff shit, fine. You don't have to meet someone's standards of radicalness in order to enjoy a hobby. Well said. Thank y'all for joining us for our TED Talk. Yeah, this, Basically. this one was wild. If you want to find us online, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Blissfully Show, which is where you'll be able to find a link to our YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, punch that bell, like and subscribe, comment below with any fandom drama you'd like to see us cover. And until next time, bye! Bye! Bye bye! Stay safe! Enlightenment and Victorian eras where everyone was just jacking off to old Greek marble sculptures, but whatever.